morning, and we welcome you back to Alger Assembly of God. Welcome to our series entitled, How to Pray. Now, a couple of individuals, a couple of men were walking and talking together on the job, and the first man challenged the second one. He said, if you are so religious, let me hear you pray and say the Lord's Prayer. I don't think you can do it. Matter of fact, I bet you 10 bucks you can't say the Lord's Prayer. The second man responded. He said, uh, okay, uh, let me think here for a moment. Um, Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die uh, before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And he paused, and and he beamed, and he smiled, and the first man kind of looked at him funny. Then he pulled his wallet out, reached in, and fished out a $10 bill and muttered, I didn't think you could do it. Now, that's not exactly the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is certainly the, the focus of our time together as a leading up to this trip in Tanzania, leading up to the opportunity where uh, we as, as pastors and leaders in the state uh, head to Tanzania to, to see what God would have for us. Uh, we're examining this topic of prayer and specifically breaking down verse by verse, going through the Lord's Prayer. And it's not what that gentleman from work had mentioned. Certainly, the Lord's Prayer is one of the most familiar passages, probably the most familiar prayer in the Bible, and most of you have learned or memorized or at least heard of it. King James Version tends to be probably the most well-known, where we use the words such as thy, you know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. As far as memorization, that's probably what many people have used or memorized, But the disciples in Luke chapter 11, they had seen that Jesus had been off by himself to pray. And they come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, would you teach us to pray like John taught his disciples? Would you teach us? And so Jesus leads them then. He says, this then is how you should pray. Now, we've been looking at the Matthew passage, the Matthew chapter 6 portion, so I'd invite you to there, Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus said, pray then in this way. And he led out into the Lord's prayer. He said, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, he, he led them in some teaching and some of the aspects before that. And so in our last couple of weeks together, what we've seen as Jesus was teaching his disciples how not to and how to pray, Jesus was teaching them to pray privately. Remember, he said to kind of go off by yourself and to pray to the Father Now, that doesn't dismiss, that doesn't discount, that doesn't delete the opportunity of praying publicly as we have done, but that should not be our only prayer time. We should have a time with the Lord. It's private. It is us with Him. He said we're to pray privately. Next, Jesus was teaching His disciples. He said we ought to pray sincerely. 
Remember, he said, it's not so much about the numbers of words, about the kinds of words. You know, uh, these individuals who think that by babbling on and on and on, that somehow God's going to hear them for their prayers. The, the focus was, let's pray sincerely, pray from our heart. We don't have to try to copy or mimic or imitate somebody else. We don't have to use the words they use. We don't, we don't have to use the posture they use. But we can, pray, we can pray out of a sincere heart to God. So he said we were to pray privately and sincerely, and he followed that up praying regularly. Remember, as we looked through multiple places, just in Matthew chapter 6, he said, this then is how you pray. He said, when you pray, and when you pray, pray therefore like this. He's assuming, trusting, believing we will pray. It's a matter of regularity. So when we pray, let me teach you how. But his encouragement is we ought to pray regularly, faithfully. Let it not just be a once a week kind of prayer. Let it not just be when we gather together on a Sunday and we pray for needs that we offer up a, a, just a, a short prayer and say, I'm good for the next seven days. Let's pray regularly, faithfully, us and the Lord. And then last week, as we spent some time together, we saw, as we looked at that first phrase, our, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus was teaching us to pray reverently, to honor and to respect the Lord and his name. So already, he's taught us to pray privately, sincerely, regularly, reverently, this morning, we're going to be looking at that next verse, and I believe that Jesus would teach us to pray willfully, to pray willfully, not just intentionally, but pray according to his will. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, hear this portion of the Lord's Prayer. Another familiar place, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if you learned at King James, you could say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Either way, it's about who. Whose will are we really talking about here? It's not us. It's not me. He says, your kingdom, God. We're to be about your kingdom business. Your kingdom come. That's God's purpose for the world. Now, we don't use that word kingdom a lot these days, right? Well, there's a few places you've heard it. Uh, maybe if you've heard somebody talk about uh, uh, over in the England area and this place called the United Kingdom, right? The UK, a portion of that. Or maybe if you've gone uh, to Florida on vacation, you might have visited a kingdom with a castle and some princesses. It's called the Magic Kingdom. Write it down in Disney. Now, whether you talk about the United Kingdom, the UK, or you talk about the Magic Kingdom in Disney, typically when we here in our English refer to kingdom, we refer to this geographical area. The United Kingdom has a particular area. That's what the UK is. 
If you go to Florida, Magic Kingdom has Cinderella's Castle. It has a, a Tomorrowland and Frontierland, and it has, you know, all of those things that are a part of Magic Kingdom. If you leave that geographical footprint, that geographical area, you might venture into one of the other Disney parks or Disney resorts or just one of the other towns located there in Florida. Magic Kingdom is its own area. But it's a little bit different as we take a look at the kingdom and the, the Greek word here that they use for kingdom tends to put the emphasis on the rule or the reign of the king. Not as much about the specific geographical area, but it ties back more to who the king is and the rule and reign of the king. Some places, some versions or translations might translate kingdom of God into rule of God or reign of God in other places. But Jesus is saying, pray your kingdom come. We're praying God's vision, God's will, God's direction upon the world. We're not here trying to build up our kingdom, our geographical area. We are here to build up the rule and the reign of Christ. Then he says, your will be done. God has a a plan, a a will, a, a vision, a direction for your life and for my life. But that's where the challenge comes in, right? Your will be done. Sometimes that's that's where the conflict comes because our will says one thing and God's will many times says something else. And Jesus is teaching his disciples that when it comes to prayer, when it comes to committing our lives and, and building this relationship with God, prayer is willful, but it's about God's will, not about mine. And that can be the challenge. See, the point of prayer is not to try to get God to give us what we want, but we're surrendering to Him, surrendering to His will, cooperation with His will. We're not trying to pull God along to our will, but we're aligning our will to His. So Jesus says, Your kingdom, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So in the balance of our time, as we take a look, Jesus teaching us about praying willfully. Let's look at a a few principles about praying willfully. How do we do something like that? First of all, I believe it involves seeking God's will. We must seek God's will. Is it something that you desire? Is it something that you want? We've got to seek after it. In fact, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, But seek first His kingdom, there's that word again, His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. We're to seek God, we're to seek His kingdom, we're to seek His will, and as we do that, we result in the righteousness of God, the will of God, and in addition, all of these other things come alongside of when you and I seek Him. See, the, the challenge is for you and I, many times we get it backwards. We seek the stuff. We want all those other things, 
And and so we seek all the other things, and then we hope to put God first. We hope to have his will. We hope that his kingdom is first. But too many times, we're seeking after the stuff that God provides rather than him, his kingdom, his righteousness, and his will. If we're wanting to pray willfully, we're wanting to connect with God, we've got to seek after him. Praying for his will, it's the foundation of the prayers. It's not about, God, I'm going to pray that you do what I want. Although sometimes that's the way our prayers are many times, right? Well, we, we get things a little bit, uh, a little bit backwards, Because sometimes our approach to God, it becomes like God as the genie in the magic lamp. I've got got God as the genie in the magic lamp, and and if I just pray a certain way, I'm going to have a few wishes. So I better pray good, because I've only got just a few wishes to God. We say, God, I need you to do this for me. We're telling, we're declaring what God must do on our behalf. Or if we're not careful, we get to be where we treat God like the Santa Claus. Where we have the list a mile long. You ever made one of those as a kid? Ever made one of those as as an adult? You know, you get that catalog in the mail. Maybe as a a kid it was... uh, you know, Sears catalog, Toys R Us catalog, and, and maybe as an adult, it's, you know, some other catalog that you love, and you just flip the pages, ooh, I'd want one of those. Yeah, but it would be great to have one of these. And, and pretty soon, our list gets longer and longer and longer and longer, and we're saying, God, here's all the stuff that I want, and so I'm coming to you, and I want you to make this your will. And we've got it backwards. We've got it upside down, and we're telling God that we want His will to conform to us rather than our will conforming to His. Jesus here, He says it's all about your kingdom, it's about your will, and just a little bit later, Matthew 6 is where we're at with the Lord's Prayer, just a number of verses in 33, He says, but seek Him first kingdom of God and his righteousness. And as you do that, as you seek him, the other things come as well. God blesses in other ways, other categories. It's the challenge of our will. God, are you going to bless what I'm doing? Sometimes that's, that's the kind of our, our prayers. We, we, we get off to the side and we say, well, well God, I, just, I don't see anything that's happening. And our prayers are literally, would you bless what I'm already doing? Rather than, God, help me to seek out your will. Help me to seek out what you desire. Help me to do what it is that you want. So it's that disconnect. We get it backwards. And if we're going to be praying willfully, we've got to be seeking God's will. Now, certainly, as we seek and as we search for God's will, it's going to be contained in God's word. God's word leads to God's will. We've got to get into the word of God. We we mentioned about that, about Bible reading guides and, and ways to help, resources to help. 
But if we want to know what God has to say for our hearts, our lives, our families, our future, it starts in the Word of God. I mean, it is the most incredible, most valuable book on the planet. Someone had wrote these things about the Word of God. It's the most valuable item on the planet, yet it costs much less than $100. And many of them sit on thrift store shelves and sell for pennies of their value. They're given as gifts, yet many times never opened. Americans often treat them casually, while those in places like China risk their very lives to get their hands on one. Many times as we hear missionaries, some of the missionaries we've had in our very church or others that we've heard in in Life of the Lost Banquets and other things, stories from other nations, other cultures, how valuable they treat even a pamphlet, a tract about the Word of God, a New Testament. Maybe all they're able to get is just a ripped page from the Word of God, and that is treated like gold. And they read and they learn and they memorize that one page and guard it with their life. And then on the other end of the spectrum many times, if we'd be honest, we'd go to our homes and we could find one, two, three, five, ten, maybe some people, twenty or more Bibles scattered all around the house, all different types, all different versions, all different translations, and many of them maybe not being read. It's a valuable book, the Word of God. The Gideons give them away. During the inauguration, the president will lay his hands on it as he takes an oath to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Children's versions have pictures. Students who study the Word of God many times will buy one with exclusive and extensive study notes. They're read at funerals and many times placed in the caskets or given and passed on to loved ones. Written in multiple languages over hundreds of years by about 40 authors and different cultures, different walks of life. And yet it is the foundation of our faith, it is our absolute authority, and we turn to the Word of God. If we are to seek God's will, it begins with getting in God's Word. So Jesus says, we are here, this is not about us. Remember, this is the the first portion of the prayer, it's all about the Lord. It is your name, it is your kingdom And it's your will. It's all about him before we get to the part where we say, give us and forgive us and lead us not and deliver us from. We're honoring. We're reverencing God. We're focused on him. We're focused on his kingdom. We're focused on his will. And it starts as we seek after God and his will. Secondly, Not just the seeking, not just being interested to to find out what it is, but discovering God's will. 
Digging in to say, okay, now what do you have to say, God? Not just that I'm starting the process, but I want to discover. I want to find out what you've got. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I might see wondrous things from your word, from your law. Look at today's day and age and culture, and people are doing just about anything and everything to try to figure out the future. From horoscopes, which, I mean, you know that they've got to be true because that two-sentence thing in the newspaper has got to apply to the many thousands and millions of people who were born in that month. So you know that it's got to be absolutely true. I'm being facetious. But people will look to horoscopes or some of the hotline numbers or, or go get a personal reading They'll buy a magic eight ball. They'll they'll do whatever they can if if they think that it's going to help them to figure out the future. And sometimes the challenge is, it's not that we don't want to hear. It's maybe not that we don't seek after God, because many times we seek, but it's the discovering, the understanding, the discerning part that sometimes is, is a little bit of a challenge for us. How do we discover? How do we understand more about God and His will? Let's just touch on a, a few thoughts and principles this morning as we discover God's will. We've already talked about one of them, and we do that seeking God's will, understanding God's will through God's Word. If we want to know and understand and comprehend what God's will is for our life, we start in the Word of God. See, here's the thing. If we say, God, I want to know what you have to say about this. What about, you know, I'm in super duper financial uh, situation here. I'm in huge, huge debt to my eyeballs. So I was just kind of thinking, God, what if I robbed a bank and took the money and paid off all my debts? Of course, I'd tie to the church. I think God's already answered that. In fact, it's a biggie. It's part of the Ten Commandments, right? Thou shalt not, you shall not steal. So there are so many principles, so many instructions that are already in God's Word if we would read it, learn it, apply it, understand it. God gives great insight. This is how we ought to live. In many cases, here is how we ought not to live. So it's not just the seeking. It's it's not just the interest. It's not just the desire. We follow it up with understanding and discovering what exactly are you saying. And God says exactly many, many things in his word. God's not going to lead us and guide us in direct opposition to his word. He's not going to do it. No matter how much you think this would be a great idea, if it's in opposition to his word, God's not saying go. So we've got to get into God's word if we're going to discover what he has to say and understand what he has to say. We can seek his word and be able to find his will. We can also seek God's will through prayer. 
The big theme of the series is prayer. But James puts it this way in James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. We say, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. My situation, I don't think, is covered in the Bible. It's just, it's so specific, and I know God has some, some, some principles, but what about this specific thing? Okay? Look at the principles that God's given in His Word and follow it up with prayer. James writes, the Word of God says, if you lack wisdom, in other words, if you want to know what to do, if you need some insight and wisdom and direction, seek God, ask God, because God loves to bless. It says He gives liberally, He gives generously to all. God's not just going to kind of dribble some little things on us. He'll give abundantly, and he will lead and guide and direct. Now, it might not be the exact way you and I would hope. It might not be the literal GPS that you and I can put on our smartphones, where it's, you know, take five miles this way and take a right, go two miles this way and take a left, God might not send you the email. God might not give you a text or a phone call telling you exactly what to do this day, but God will answer your prayers. So go to the Word of God. Go to Him in prayer. You want to understand and discern and try to discover what God's saying? How about this? Seek godly counsel. Find some other individuals that know and love and have a solid relationship with God, and they might be able to give insider direction. In fact, there's probably some people that have experienced what your struggle is, what your debate is, what your issue is, what your dilemma is. There's probably some people who have gone through something very similar who would have some biblical insight to share. Proverbs eleven fourteen, we read this. Where there is no counsel, the people fail, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. When we allow others to come around us to, to shed insight and, and wisdom, it's going to help us discern, discover, understand what God has to say. Now, let's also give the caution here. Understand, as God uses other individuals, they will help to supplement what God is speaking to our hearts. God might use other people to speak into our lives, but it usually will confirm what God is saying. It's not just one person out of everybody says, you're going to go do this. Many times, that's something that God has already been nudging you, and God's using somebody else as counsel to be that confirmation. So we, we seek God's will in His Word and prayer and godly counsel. Here's one. How about wisdom and common sense? Hmm. Oh, boy. 
In fact, there's a, there's a whole book about that called Proverbs, right? Lots of Proverbs about how we interact with people, how we interact with others, how we interact with our resources and finances, and, and just wisdom and common sense would dictate here would be some good things, some wise things to do, and here would be some other things maybe to avoid. Wisdom and common sense where we look and say, okay, have I, have I faced a situation like this before or something similar? What has God taught me from that before? Have I learned from this situation before or am I simply repeating the same mistake, the same error that I've had in the past? So sometimes experience, wisdom, consequences, common sense are some helpful tools. And also as we're discovering God's will, Here's another thought. Be patient. Oh, we don't like that word. Because we want God's will and we want it yesterday. I mean, God, if this is my life we're talking about, what are you doing waiting to give me the answer? Just don't understand it, God. My encouragement is this wait on God. Be patient and know that he is at work. I mean, there are so many situations, right, where we feel God's just not doing anything. God doesn't hear me. My prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and on and on and on. And then one day, it's as if the floodgates of heaven open and the prayers are answered and we realize God's been at work behind the scenes for a long time. So we've got this intensity, we've got this desire to seek his will. That's great. Now let's learn about it, let's discover it, let's understand what God has to say for your life and my life. Great things, as Jesus is saying, it's about your kingdom, God, it's about your will. But how many of you know we can't stop there? It's, it's not about simply the desire to seek what God has. It's even more than the understanding and the wisdom and the knowledge to say, here's what God wants from me. There's one more step. And we're usually not too crazy about this one either. That's the obeying of God's will. Obey God's will. Psalm 143, verse 10 says, Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Make your good spirit lead me on level ground. The psalmist didn't just say, Teach me to have a desire for your will. He didn't write, Teach me to comprehend and understand your will. He said, teach me to do it. Teach me to live it. Teach me to obey it. It's not just enough to say, well, I've sought God, and I think I know what he desires of me. And my schooling, and my job, and my family, as I live for him, I kind of know what he wants. That's great. But now let's do it. Let's obey it. Let's live it. 
It's really about submitting to him, yielding to him, and then walking through and obeying. That's where the, the challenge comes in, right? That's where many times the two wills can butt heads. It's a battle of the wills. You ever had a situation maybe with a family member, with a spouse, with a coworker, and you wanted something done one way, and they wanted something done another way, and neither one of you were willing to give in. Maybe one person tries to pull rank, and because their boss or because they've got a, a higher position, they say, here's what we're going to do. Or maybe in a, in a home, in a friendship, it's, well, well I'm older. Sometimes that happens with, with littler kids, right? Little one's got to listen to the bigger one. But it's the battle of the wills. You and I aren't exempt from this situation with God. Because in many times, we're saying, God, I want your will. And so we seek it, and then we discover, and we see what we believe God's leading us to. And then we say, whoa, that's not what I want, God. I wanted you to just kind of rubber stamp and put a big fat yes on what I'm already doing. I want you to say that the lifestyle I'm living is purely good. I don't want to conform to your will. I want you to okay and to approve mine. And so the, there's this battle, and we think we, we are somehow going to win and succeed. Jesus didn't say, arm wrestle God, and the winner gets their will. Jesus very simply said to submit. As we pray, we do so like this. God, it's your kingdom that I'm to be about, not mine. It's your will that I'm seeking, discovering, and obeying, not mine. Maybe you've heard the story, apparently a, a firsthand account by a man on one of the ships. The name was Frank Koch. Two battleships were assigned to the training squadron. And they had been at sea on maneuvers in heavy weather for several days. This Frank was serving as uh, on the lead battleship, and he was on watch on the bridge as night fell. The visibility was poor with patchy fog, and so the captain remained on the bridge, keeping an eye on all the activities. Shortly after dark, the lookout on the wing of the bridge reported, Light! Bearing on the starboard bow, the captain called out and asked, Is it steady or is it moving astern? The lookout replied, Steady, Captain, which meant if it was steady and we were steady, we were on a dangerous collision course with that ship. The captain then called out to the signalman, signal the ship, tell them we're on a collision course, and advise them to change their course, alter it by 20 degrees. So the captain said, send. I'm a captain, change course 20 degrees. Here came the reply. You had better change course 20 degrees. 
By this time, the captain of the battleship was irate. He was furious. He spat out this next response. He said, send. I'm a battleship. Change your course 20 degrees. Back came the flashing light. I'm a lighthouse. I advise you to change course. See, the lighthouse... The lighthouse on the coast, the lighthouse on the edge, it is fixed. It is immovable. It is what shines light so that everybody around can see. It's the giver of light. Everybody else should seek it, discover it, and live according to it, not the other way around. But so many times, boy, we're, we're like the captain on the battleship. Do it my way, God. Change your plans. Because I want this and I need that. And, and God, this is what I'm going through. And we approach God as if we are demanding that he, he move heaven and earth to conform to exactly what we want. When instead, in reality, he's the lighthouse. He's the giver of light. He's the giver of his will, his guidance and direction. Will we seek after it? Will we discover it? And then most importantly, are we going to obey it? Are we going to put into practice what God's word says? What he speaks into our heart through prayer? What we've seen through steady study? We're to conform to him conform to his will and live it out. Close with a poem I came across entitled The Will of God. You might have heard this or something similar to this. It says, The will of God will never take you where the grace of God cannot keep you, where the arms of God cannot support you, where the riches of God cannot supply your needs, where the power of God cannot endow you. The will of God will never take you where the Spirit of God cannot work through you, where the wisdom of God cannot teach you, where the army of God cannot protect you, where the hands of God cannot mold you. The will of God will never take you where the love of God cannot enfold you, where the mercies of God cannot calm you, where the peace of God cannot calm your fears, where the authority of God cannot overrule you. The will of God will never take you where the comfort of God cannot dry your tears, where the word of God cannot feed you, where the miracles of God cannot be done for you, where the omnipresence of God cannot find you. Everything happens for a purpose. We may not see the wisdom of it all now, but trust and believe in the Lord that everything is for the best. Jesus said, Your kingdom, your will. What are you and I going to say? Are we seeking my kingdom and my will? Or will we submit and as we pray and as we live, say, God, it's in addition and it's in, in response to you to build your kingdom, to live, to seek, to discover, and to obey your will. 